Well, Christmas is the season for singing and singing carols. And uh, we are looking at three carols. Last week, we looked at uh, um, the carol from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. We looked at those words, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And next Sunday morning, we're going to look at the song of Simeon, which comes up um, later on in Luke chapter 2. But uh, this evening, we're going to consider this familiar song by the angels. The great company of the heavenly hosts to appear uh, to the shepherds and they, they say, or they sing, I imagine it's singing, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. This song traditionally called Gloria in Excelsis Deo, after the, uh, the Latin translation. Um, it's it's well-known, isn't it, this song? People uh, recognize this is what the angels sang. Now, you notice how chapter 2 begins, though. It begins with history, doesn't it? Luke uh, is very clear, right at the beginning of his gospel, he wants, he wants Theophilus to know that what he's writing for him is based in history. So that's why he says these are, this took place in the days of Caesar Augustus. Uh, and Quirinius was governor of Syria. And he, at the beginning of his gospel, he's saying, look, I, 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 I've almost gone and, and, and taken what the eyewitness accounts have said. I've researched it because I want you to know, Quirinius, the reality, the certainty of what you've been taught. It's not fairy story. It's not been made up. This is something that happened in history so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. And almost immediately after he says that, uh, he writes about angels. Well, what are we to make of that? Why does he do that? He doesn't seem to be embarrassed about writing about angels. Why not? Well, in a sense, angels appear throughout the Bible, don't they? Right from the book of Genesis, we have angels speaking. Uh, usually, God sends them when they've got something significant to say, a significant message. For example, angels were sent to announce the birth of Abra Abraham and and. Um, uh, and Sarah to announce that they were going to have a child, Isaac, came with that good news. Extraordinary news, seeing how old they were. Or angels came to Lot and warned him about the city of Sodom was going to be destroyed. There was a message, get out. Angels are speaking all the time. And in the life of Jesus, when you look at the Gospels, angels are there at significant moments. They're here at his birth. Announcing his birth, they're with him when he is tempted by the devil. An angel attended him, we're told. They are with him before he dies in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying and he's sweating drops of blood. And he's saying, God, Father, your will, not mine be done. And an angel comes and strengthens him. They are there at the resurrection when the women go to the tomb. There's two men in dazzling white, and they say, he's not here, he is risen. They announce the resurrection. They are there when Jesus ascends, and they're looking up as Jesus has gone 
up into glory and two angels come and say why are you looking up why are you looking up there they say this same jesus will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven the angels are there at all these significant points and according to jesus the angels are there when jesus christ will return in glory with the glory of the father and of the holy angels he says so if you piece all that together all the bible tells us about angels in fact there's a book over there i think on the shelves by billy graham who devoted a whole book to angels i haven't read it but i heard it's uh, it's quite good if you piece all that information together what can we say about these angels well the first thing we can say is that they are made they are made they are creatures they are not gods they are creatures that's the first thing we human beings were made a little lower than the angels psalm 8 says but the angels are also creatures there are also fallen angels but that's another subject jesus talks about that too so they are made first of all secondly they are mighty they are mighty powerful beings that's why their appearance here makes the the shepherds hit the deck and every other appearance people are afraid when they see angels because they are mighty it's interesting that in the old testament joshua before the battle of jericho he sees uh he sees this angel standing before him with a drawn sword describes himself as commander of the army of the lord angels are not wimps they are mighty beings often portrayed as military beings they are also messengers angels angels are messengers they come with a message from an unseen world that doesn't mean to say it's fairy story it just reflects the reality of a world beyond the thing that we can see and touch both are real it's just one we're not used to experiencing and they are ministers hebrew says angels are ministers they serve god and also god's people are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation so paul at times when he's under when he's under the cosh in corinth an angel comes and strengthens him and helps him who but knows that we may well have been strengthened by angels unawares and luke records their appearance here in chapter 2 because well if you ask him he'll say well i put it in because that's what happened because that's what happened based on eyewitness accounts christianity is unashamedly a supernatural religion not a religion a supernatural faith and now we're told that the angel of the lord appears to these shepherds just as the angel had appeared to zechariah in chapter 1 and just as he had come to mary in nazareth in chapter 1 and he's identified there as gabriel and perhaps we can assume that this is gabriel who comes to the shepherds although we're not given his name 
And they've got a message. He's got a message, isn't he? Good news of great joy for all the people. Well, what is the good news? It's got content. A Savior, Christ the Lord, has been born. So there's a Savior. And there's a sign. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. I was reading recently, someone has suggested that it wasn't an unusual thing, perhaps, for a baby to be wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. It wasn't kind of something that had never been heard of. But the angels are stressing this. He is just like you. He is just like you. He's not in a palace. He's not in Jerusalem. He has come to be with you, people like you in Bethlehem. And then the heavenly host appears. The whole army. This is a, imagine this is a military choir. We've heard of the military wives choir. Well, this is the military choir singing. And uh, it's funny, isn't it? Because they're singing about peace. They're not singing about war. They're singing about peace. And it's as if their praise can't be contained. They're kind of bursting with this great song, this great theme. It's breathtaking. It's wonderful. It's amazing. And these angels, the heavenly host, sing out glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. That's what I want us just to think about then this evening. Glory to God in the highest. Think of the lyrics. Peace to people on earth. And that captures, I guess, the, the real spirit of Christmas. So firstly, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. What does that mean? Well, it's, I guess it's an expression of praise, isn't it? One of our hymns says, To God be the glory, great things he has done. That's the idea of this, of this song, I think, isn't it? Glory to God. Let God be glorified. And then I was thinking, well, what does this word glory mean? What does it mean? Well, if you read the context, it's got a little bit to do with brightness, hasn't it? This word glory. Because when the angel comes, we're told the glory of the Lord shone around them. You see that in verse 9? The glory of the Lord, with the presence of this angel, shines. And they're terrified. It's a kind of a supernatural brightness breaks in. And they are terrified. The glory of the Lord shone. It reminds me of an Old Testament event where Moses is up on Mount Sinai and uh, he asks that he might see God's glory, might see the Lord's glory. And God says to him, well, I can't show you my glory. I'll cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. But you cannot see my face, or you will die. No one can see me and live. And after meeting with the Lord, that experience on Mount Sinai, he comes back down into um, the camp of the people, and his face is radiant, the Bible says. His face is shining with this glory. 
So this word glory has got this idea of shining, shining out. And I think it describes the shining out of God's perfections, God's beauty, God's holiness. It's shining out God's perfections. The shepherds see something of it when the angel comes down. The Israelites saw something of it when Moses came down from the mountain, from seeing God. And it produces awe and wonder and fear. But it's worth remembering that this glory that they saw is just reflected glory, isn't it? It's just reflected glory. Rather like when you see a a beautiful full moon. It was on the news, wasn't it, a while ago? We're going to see this fantastic super moon. And people, people wanted to go up and see it clearly. People were filled with wonder about the moon. But of course, the glory of the moon is reflected glory, isn't it? If there were no sun, the moon wouldn't be very interesting at all. It wouldn't attract our attention. In a sense, if we see the, the beauty of the moon, the glory of the moon, we say, wow, isn't, isn't the sun brilliant? But we don't often make that connection. But the angels do. That's the point, I think, here. The angels make this connection between, between creation and God's glory. Glory to God in the highest. Spontaneous worship. They're filled with wonder and awe. They're self-forgetful. This is the wonderful thing, isn't it, about worship? You forget yourself and you're taken up with God. And that's what happens here. They're not thinking about themselves. They're taken up with the glory of God, their creator. And that's exactly what we were made for. That's exactly why God has made us. We find our greatest fulfillment when we're taken up with him. And we're saying, look at that. Look how great God is. And what happens? We forget about ourselves. And we're suddenly free. Have you noticed how hungry we are for glory? How hungry we are. Some people look for it in sport. Glory, glory, man united. They don't sing that so often these days, but that's their chant. Or Tottenham fans, the, if you watch the games when it's at Tottenham, it's all about glory. The game is about glory, it says. Fans want to come and be wowed by their team. They want to be taken up with something bigger than themselves. I've got a Welsh rugby DVD at home. And it's entitled, The Years of Glory. Some look for it in engineering. We want to be wowed by the latest design, the latest car design, the latest technology. We want to be wowed by it. Amazed. We watch grand designs and see what people do to make their houses wonderful. Some people look for it in nature. Did you see the hunt last night? Did you watch it? Wasn't it amazing? Millions of viewers watch these wildlife programs and they're wowed by it. They're dazzled by it. Some look for it in music. Adele's concerts sold out like that. 
More concerts need to be put on. Why? People want to go and see her. They want to hear her. They are wowed by her voice. What a wonderful gift it is. It's more than entertainment. People are hungry for glory. It reminds me of the song that you too sang a while ago called Beautiful Day. Remember those words? It was a beautiful day. Don't let it get away. Beautiful day. Touch me. Take me to that other place. You know what he's singing about there? He's singing about glory there. Take me to that other place where I can feel the sense of glory. And we crave it. We crave to be filled with this wonder, dazzled by glory. But you know, the glory of all those things that I've mentioned at best is reflected glory. It's reflected glory. Adele's voice, a wonderful goal in football, a beautiful piece of engineering. It's all reflected glory, reflecting the glory of the God who made us. And the angels know that. In Isaiah chapter 6, you've got a picture of these mighty creatures, the seraphim, and they're, they're in God's presence and they're singing. Again, singing in God's presence. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. They recognize it. They see it in creation. They say, look how great God is. Look at it. Are we like that? Human beings like that? No. They see what we so often fail to see. Paul explains it like this. We've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Instead of worshipping God, we worship football. Or we worship cars. Or we worship music. We exchange the glory of God for these things. They become ends in themselves. Or Paul says we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. That's our problem. Craving for glory, but looking in the wrong place. And the angels recognize it. Glory to God, they say. Glory to God. But here's a question. Is that why they're singing glory to God at this point? Are they singing glory to God because of creation at this point? Or is there a bigger theme? Is there a higher theme than creation? Well, yes, there is, isn't there? In this context, why are they singing glory to God? Because a Savior has been born. A Redeemer has come. There's something better than creation, something greater than creation. Redemption. God is sending His Son to redeem men and women, to rescue them. And even though these angels are spectators in that, 
they're not the object of God's, of Christ's salvation, are they? They're kind of spectators. They're watching this. God sending his son. But they're filled with praise. They're filled with praise. Glory to God in the highest. Because of what he's done to redeem people. In October this year, there were two Norwegian bird watchers who went to Thailand and they found themselves on the mudflats. I'm not quite sure exactly where they were, but I, I've seen a video of it. And they found themselves up to waist high in mud. And one of them's a big chap, big Norwegian guy. And they can't get out. They've got a tripod, the camera, they've got rucksacks, and they are stuck. And along comes this very slight little Thai man. He's been fishing on his boat, and he sees them. In, uh, in their difficulty. And he tries to pull them out. That doesn't get very far. And so he takes their tripod away and he takes the rucksack off. And they must have been wondering, is he, is he going to run away now? But he comes back. And the solution he finds to get them out is for himself to lie down in the mud so they can lean on him press him down into the mud and they can get out. And uh, this video, it was being filmed, it went onto the internet, posted on the internet, it's been watched by millions of people. Millions. And the account says, the newspaper account says, people have been filled with praise for that young man who did that. Well, these heavenly spectators are filled with praise to God, aren't they? Glory to God, they say. Because the Son of God has come down. I know it's not got to the cross yet, but they are going to see, aren't they, something amazing. The Son of God is going to be pressed down at the cross. He is going to bear the weight of our sin. He is going to bear the punishment for our sin, that we might go free. And these angels say glory to God. They're moved by the theme of redemption. Glory to God in the highest. But the second part of the verse is peace to men. Or peace to people on earth. Peace to people on earth. Now anyone with open eyes and open minds will have a problem with that kind of a statement, won't they? If we're watching the news, peace on earth, the angels sang. Peace on earth, really? Where is it? But look again, look again at what the angels say. On earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Literally, on earth, peace among men of good pleasure. And the idea is of, well, what does that mean? Of God's good pleasure. On earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Or, peace to those whom God is pleased to show favor. That's why the NIV has translated it like that. Favor. 
peace to men whom he favors. Now, of course, when the angels say men, they also mean women. It's men and women. Of course it is. That's true grammatically. You know, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. So, mankind, men and women. So, it's true grammatically. But it's also true thematically, too. In, in what we've read so far in Luke. Who are the main people who've received God's favor so far in the story, in the gospel? Well, Elizabeth, first of all, the mother of John the Baptist. Turn to chapter 1 and verse 25. Two women. The first is Elizabeth. And she's told she's, she's going to be... Uh, become pregnant in her old age and she's, she's going to be, give birth to a son. Call him John. Look at verse 24. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant for five months, remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace. Among the people. He has shown me favor. Or the Lord has looked on me. It's the idea of looking on, on Elizabeth with favor, with kindness. That's Elizabeth. Who's the next person who receives God's favor? Well, it's Mary. Look at verse 28. The angel comes. The angel Gabriel goes to her. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And she can't make sense of that. She's troubled. And so the angel goes on to say, the Lord has been favorable to, towards you. Highly favored. Verse 28. Highly favored. You have found favor with God. Verse 30. And then a little bit later, Mary and Elizabeth meet. And it's interesting to see what Elizabeth says. Verse 43. Look what she says. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Why? Why me? Why me? Mary says, who me? Elizabeth says, why me? They both receive God's favor. So God's peace is promised to people who receive his favor. His grace. The word favor is really like grace. Unmerited favor. It's not universal, so it's not a universal promise here, you know, that every individual, regardless of what they do, is going to be at peace. It's not that, is it? Even though the good news of Christ is to be offered to everybody. It's not a universal promise of peace, that everything is going to, going to work out well and wonderfully 
in this world. And everyone will live happily ever after in this world. It's not what the angels are singing, is it? It is a promise of peace to people on earth. A peace with God. Through the birth and the work of Jesus. Through God's favor. Uh, a couple of days ago, David was telling me about a test. He, he had to sit. Um, <clears throat> some kind of training exercise, I think it was. And <clears throat> the group was told they had only a few minutes, turn over a piece of paper and fill in, complete 20 questions. And so everybody's very keen. So they turn it over and they start scribbling away. But they're also told, make sure you read Make sure you read the questions carefully before you start. So off they go, scribbling away, scribbling away, trying to fill in all the answers, okay, looking at the time. Get to the last question, which reads, there's no need to answer these questions. Just sign your name at the top. It's important to read the text carefully, isn't it? And what's the text of the song? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men, to people on whom his favor rests. And that's true. That's true. How do we know if we've received God's favor? How do we know if we've received God's favor? Well, I think there's an answer here in the shepherds, isn't it, themselves? Let's look at the shepherds for a minute. What do they do? What happens to them? Well, firstly, they receive the good news, don't they? They, they hear the good news. They receive it in their ears through the angels. Good news of great joy that will be for all people. Just like you, just like you shepherds, the angels say. Good news of a Savior. A Savior has been born and he's a king. Christ the Lord. He's, he's a king. He's come for you. He's a Savior. And that's true, isn't it? That's a true message for many people. The Christmas message is going out at this point. Maybe even around the world. And through the carols and through the media and through sermons and different Christmas um, gatherings, this message is going out. And people will hear it. It's a sign of God's favor, isn't it? That people should hear the gospel. Many people have not heard. And this is a challenge to the church. But hearing is not enough, is it? It wasn't enough for the shepherds just to hear about a Savior. They had to respond, didn't they, to the good news? They had to respond. So after the sight and the song of the angels, they say, let's go. Let's go and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. Let's go. They don't say, what a fantastic experience. Let's hang around and see if we can catch it again. They don't say that. 
the experience was to lead them somewhere. It wasn't an end in itself. They don't say, what a wonderful message, but it can't be for us. We're shepherds after all. It can't be for me. They don't say that. They don't say, what a wonderful message, but we can't go to Bethlehem and look for a baby in a manger. They'll think we're stupid. We'll be rejected. Shepherds were rejected, weren't they, in those days. Well, what about the sheep? And they don't say, what a wonderful message, but it can't be for us. We don't need a savior. We don't need a king. We're all right as shepherds on the edge of society. We've got our pride. We don't need a savior. No, none of that. Instead, they respond with faith. They say, come on, this, this must be for us. And they obey the angel. The angel has given them information. They go, don't they? They look. How do you know if God's favor is on you? How do you know? Well, you find yourself persuaded that, that this good news is not just kind of general good news. It's good news for you. It's good news for me. That's the mark of God's favor, his grace. You say, well, I, yes, it's beginning to make sense for me. You find yourself convinced that, that Jesus Christ is for you. God is interested in you. You find yourself realizing that you need to be saved. Maybe before you thought, well, I'm all right. I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm all. But now you realize, no, I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven. And that I need a king to rule me. A good king. I'm fed up of being my own king. Now, many people have had the gospel explained to them. Many people. But not all have been moved to seek Jesus. William Wilberforce took his friend, William Pitt, who was the, the prime minister, I think the youngest ever prime minister of Britain. Brilliant man. Took him to a church service where the gospel was preached powerfully. And Wilberforce was thrilled. He came out of the service with William Pitt, and he says, what do you think of that then? He says, well, I, I, I just don't, I don't see what you see in it. He says, I didn't understand a word of that. But when God's favor is upon us, we are drawn to the Savior. It begins to make sense. And then you rejoice like they did. They rejoiced, didn't they, in the good news. They go to Bethlehem believing this authoritative message. They go, they believe, and they find it to be true, just as they had been told. You see that? The last phrase of verse 20, just as they had been told. It's brilliant, that, because it reminds us that Christianity is objectively true. It's not just true for me in my little world. It's not just true for me. It's objectively true. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He did come to Bethlehem. He did die on a cross. He did rise again. He is the King. 
And it's important that we understand that it's not just true for me, true for you. It is true. Years later, can you imagine these shepherds? Maybe they're having doubts. Maybe the, the market for wool or for, or for lamb has dropped. They're not doing very well. Maybe there's been illness in the family. And they're beginning to doubt. Really good news of great joy? Really? Did it really happen, they say to each other? Did it really happen? And one of them says, well, yes, it did. It wasn't a dream. Come on, let's retrace our steps. Here we were. Let's go, let's go into Bethlehem. There's the house. Do you remember? There's the house. That's where we went. We saw it. We, we kind of knelt down here. This was the street. We met Mary and Joseph. We saw the baby. See, the gospel is not based on feelings, but on facts. And look how they return. They return glorifying, don't they? They praise God, glorifying and praising God for the things which they had seen and heard. Real things. Something's happened. Something's happened to them, hasn't it? They've been caught up with the praise of the angels. Glory to God in the highest. They've joined that song. They've joined the chorus. It's not just the angels' praise for redemption. It's the shepherds. The shepherds are joining in because it's changed them. And of course, naturally, they want to share it. They want to share it. They tell others. I think that helps us to understand this question or answer that question. God's favor, this idea of God's favor. How can you tell? How can you see it? How can you work it out? Well, we see it in the shepherds. God's favor, his grace is upon them. Have you heard the good news about Jesus Christ? Have you believed the good news? Have you responded to the good news and trusted him? And are you rejoicing in that good news? Has it brought that peace and joy that the angels sang about? If you can see that pattern in your life, praise God. Praise God for his favor to you. And you respond like Mary and Elizabeth and you say, who, me? (laughs) Or why me? And it leads you to worship. Isaac Watts wrote a lot about this as a hymn writer. He, he pictures the, the, the kingdom of God like a feast and this invitation Jesus talked about, didn't he, in a parable. The invitation to come to the feast. This is the gospel feast. Come, come to God. Come and find forgiveness. Come and rejoice. And he writes about it in one of his hymns. While all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, Each of us cry with thankful tongues, Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear your voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice 
and rather starve than come. It was the same love that spread the feast that sweetly drew us in, else we had still refused to taste and perished in our sin. Pity the nations, O our God, constrain the earth to come. Send your victorious word abroad and bring the strangers home. Well, may God help us to respond like that. Glory to God in the highest. And praise God for his favor and peace as it's come to us in Jesus Christ. Amen.